Hello, and welcome to the episodic audiobook series where we cover books that I wrote and am narrating for you to enjoy on the podcast. For this series, we are covering the short story collection Into the Macrocosm Short Stories of the Dark Cosmic, Bizarre, and the Fantastic. So they are independent short stories all tied together in one overarching narrative. So if you haven't caught episode one and two, it uh, would help to understand what is going on with the overarching narrative where we last left off with the Nameless One, who is being assisted by Malferides, the ghoul, and uh, introducing them to a golden bowl with observation liquid. And this observation liquid helps the Nameless One witness other people's lives in different times and different places, allowing them to try and figure out who they are, for the Nameless One has lost their memory. And last episode, we saw the first witnessing, which is goat wisdom. Now we are about to return to the midway where the Nameless One and Mel Ferretti's are and uh, learn about if the witnessing state had anything helpful to the Nameless One. And of course, we'll have a new short story. So let's jump into it. Two, lightness fading. Darkness, cool air, the tingling of fine sand between your bare feet amplifies. The senses of the flesh, all are returning as you regain conscious thoughts. The stinging feeling in your eyes is now gone. Your head is groggy as you rub off the crusties from your eyelids. They're black, the liquid from the golden bowl. The path of the observer is gone. You're once more in the midway. You're back, Malferetti says, hovering beside you. Yeah, you say, blinking a few times. You take a breath, realizing you're in control again. The passiveness of the observer has melted away. It was like a dream, you say. I could watch and feel, but I couldn't do anything. Yes, as is the role of the observer. Watching the ego play out. What? Mal lowers to your level. Do not overthink it. Tell me, nameless one, what did you see? What did you feel? I was some young kid. A teenager, you say. A boy. Yes, you may have been a boy in your past life. Maybe not. You pat your body. What do you mean? I'm me. This body you have now isn't you. As you learned while flying through the colors before coming here. This body you have now is just an accumulation of what you're familiar with. I'm familiar with this body? It feels better than I have ever felt. Have you never noticed how everyone sees themselves differently in the mirror? Or how your voice sounds different in your head compared to any form of recording? Yeah, you say. Your mind and ego play an important role in how you perceive yourself. They manipulate and distort the real you. So... 
This body you have now isn't accurate to the version you had while you were alive. Great. So I could be anyone. Yes, which makes this a challenge. Judging by how disconnected you seem with this teenage boy, I'm going to guess you weren't him at the moment of death. Tell me, what else did you experience? Malfaretti's asks. You scratch your head, trying to recall all of the details. It was maybe the mid-90s. They talked a lot about Y2K. I had a crush on a girl. It was all I could think about. Jealousy, angst, rebelliousness. Did these things feel familiar to you? Malferetti's asks. No, not really. I didn't die either. Was I supposed to? Not all experiences will be death-based. We want to find the strong memories that will jolt your mind. The Midway lets me detect powerful emotions expressed by mortals while they are alive. Dying is a strong one, so it pierces through space-time, letting us ghouls sense it. Other emotions can do the same. Whatever you experienced while observing this teen's life was profound. I guess, you reply. He just got high and was worried about getting a boner. Huh. Well, adolescents tend to make a big deal about nothing due to their immaturity. He was pretty focused on his queer jokes, too, you say. As teenage boys are. You said the 90s. Yeah, you say. Interesting. Your comment there may have given us a clue. Malfaretti strokes his jaw, looking at you like you're just a puzzle game. What do you mean? You ask. Malfaretti soars up to the bowl again. With that type of observation, you may come from a more progressive time. The clue is small, but it gives you a slight feeling of hope. Malfaretti's is quick, and perhaps the two of you will be able to figure out what happened faster than you first anticipated. You walk up to the bowl and lean closer to it. Are we going again? You ask. Yes. Malfaretti's dips his claw into the black liquid, causing it to ripple. Open your eye. Where are we going this time? You ask, stepping back from the bowl. Malfaretti's hovers above you. Far from the previous time. He taps his claw causing the droplet of black to fall onto your eyeball. The cool liquid has a slight sting, but it's nowhere near as intense as the first experience had been. You're building resilience. With a deep breath, you blink a couple of times. Each motion coats your eye with the liquid. The cave begins to fade once more, leaving you in whiteness. Thoughts go lightness. Harvesters. Duty. We're on the trawler vessel headed to the harvester world, just like any other job. I manage the equipment in the docking bay while we are en route. Two others in our unit are with me. We herd the cattle once they are harvested from the ground squad. I never thought much about the job. My father did this before me, and now this was my role in the society. 
that's all there was to it. The society keeps things structured and ensures humanity's survival by improving our well-being. So why mess with a good thing? The trawler vessel rocks side to side as the ceiling lights flash, a sign we are entering the atmosphere. I hold onto the emergency handlebar with my right hand, awaiting the oncoming catch. My two comrades do as well. The adrenaline hits me every time. I know what is coming. The ground squad will bring the cattle here, and our role will begin. The cattle always act up. Our unit has to be extremely focused on coordinating the beasts in the cage for the safety of everyone on the ship. The ship stabilizes its motion. My grip on the handle relaxes as we enter the planet's atmosphere. Six units, armored head to toe, the ground squad, march into the chrome oval shuttlecraft, holding their black pulse cannons. Glowing purple lights hum from the chambers. Safety mode is off, and their weapons are ready. Kraft's door closes up as the last unit enters, letting it lift off the ground with a blue light projecting from the exhaust of its underbelly. The trawler vessel opens the docking door, giving us a view of the gray atmosphere of the planet. A question enters my mind. What is the surface like? The ground squad knows. From what I learned in school, I know it is infested with disease, rubble, and pollution. No wildlife survives there except for the cattle, but they seem to flourish, luckily for them. The cattle are vital to the society. Their biological makeup is a crucial component of our scientific progression. Their genetics help us understand our past and improve our DNA. That's all I know, but it's enough to make me ponder useless thoughts. The shuttlecraft roars as the bottom thrusters rotate, letting the craft zoom out of the trawler vessel and into the cloudy gray atmosphere, where it disappears. The harvest has begun. One time, I did get a view of the planet beneath that foggy sky. It's blue and brown. I saw it from the cockpit, although only for a few moments. I had to return to my station shortly after as we were entering orbit. It's probably for the better. I need to keep my focus on the job if I want to live up to my family's name. Anticipation. Now, I wait for the ground squad to return. My left hand clutches the black electro spear, waiting to shock any cattle that acts out in the cages. It makes my heart race thinking about the potential action. They have hands. They can operate basic tools. Even though my curiosity about the planet torments the back of my mind, I know I don't want to be in the ground squad, gathering the beasts. They're dangerous if not harvested carefully. I've seen the footage in school, the paintings, the portrayals in the media. Filth riddles their hair, and their nature is violent. As much as I'd like to be a part of the ground squad and partake in harvesting some of the cattle, I can accept my duty in the society. The ground squad doesn't take long to come back to the trawler vessel. The docking station had remained open for the duration of their absence. Soon, the intercom erupts, with the pilot's distorted voice coming through the speakers, saying, Ground squad arrival. Shepherds initiate. The lights above turn blue. The other two shepherds march forward, and I follow after them as the shuttlecraft comes into view. The craft carefully lands back inside the trawler vessel as the docking door moves upward to close. Positions. The shepherd to my left, our squad leader, says through our helmets. Shepherds. I grip my spear with both hands as the shuttle lands. 
the engines underneath the craft turn off, leaving us in a moment of silence. The back of the ship hisses and the hatch continues to close. Three ground squad members are on each side of the interior with a large steel crate in the center. It levitates off the ground. Small holes wrap around the middle of the cage, underneath the semi-translucent force field surrounding the container. The ground squad marches forward, and the cell hovers ahead with the unit. Groaning echoes come from inside the cage, snarls and roars. They are there, angry, hateful. A dark silhouette appears from behind the last ground squad member. The motion is too fast for me to see clearly. The black blob is crouching. It moves closer. Yet, there isn't a seventh squad member. That's cattle. Tree run! I shout, rushing forward. Tree run! The other shepherds say, joining me in the pursuit. The ground squad spins around, raising their pulse cannons. The purple orbs glowing brighter. The three on the opposite side hurry around the cage to face the threat. The others fire pulses from their weapons, missing the silhouette by a fraction. The plasma blast soars past the being and highlighting the humanoid creature standing upright, wearing pants. Muscular arms end in five-finger hands that hold a crude metal pistol, firing the weapon at the closest ground squad unit. The scene lights up as a bullet rips through the gun's chamber and into the chest of the ground unit. It bounces off the armor, leaving no indent. Time slows down as I run. My body's motion is an autopilot while the mind is left in disarray as I glimpse the scowling face of the cattle in full light. The beige, dirt-covered skin, two eyes, blue irises, long black hair. It's human. The cattle fires again, missing the ground squad in front of them. They fire back. One of the pulse cannon's plasma blasts hits him in the chest, throwing him back and knocking the gun from his hand. The two shepherds and I arrive directly in front of the cattle. Our squad leader lunges his electro spear into the being's chest, causing his entire system to jolt and fall lifelessly. I stare down at the cattle. No, it can't be. I am looking down at a fellow human. The physique is less toned and it is slightly smaller. That aside, it is undoubtedly human, an unmodified version. And that is the end of this episode. If you're enjoying it, please share with your friends. And if you just can't wait, the audiobook and the print and the ebook are available on all distributors like Amazon, Kobo, Audible, and all those good places. And that'll give you the whole short story collection and find out what happens to the nameless one. So until next time, take care. Ciao. 